Hi, this is Brent White, and welcome back to my podcast. I preached the following sermon on May 26, 2019, at Livonia United Methodist Church in Livonia, Georgia. My scripture was Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, which I'm going to read now. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We learn more about the prayer life of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke than we do the other Gospels. Um, For example, all four Gospels talk about the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus after he's baptized by John in the Jordan. But only Luke adds the detail that the Spirit came upon Jesus while he was praying. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the, the episode of Jesus calling the 12 disciples. But only Luke adds the detail that Jesus had stayed up all night the night before praying before he called them. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each describe Peter's great confession of Jesus as the Messiah. But only Luke's gospel tells us that this confession was made after Jesus had been in prayer. And again, those same three Gospels describe the miracle of the transfiguration on that high mountain. But only Luke's Gospel says that this miracle occurs while Jesus is praying. All four Gospels describe Peter denying Jesus three times on the night Jesus was arrested. But only Luke's Gospel says that because Jesus was praying for Peter in advance, he was making sure that although Peter's faith would falter, it would not be destroyed. In fact, Peter would go on to do great things for God's kingdom. My point is that Luke emphasizes the priority 
that Jesus places on prayer. And we see Jesus in the gospel praying time and again. And here's what I want us to consider. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was he was fully human, but he was also fully God. He was the only begotten son of the father. He was perfect and sinless in every way. He enjoyed a more intimate relationship with his father than any human being who's ever lived. Yet when he walked this earth, he needed to rely on prayer the exact same way that we need to rely on prayer Doesn't it go without saying that if even a perfect, sinless, if if only the perfect, sinless, only begotten son of God needed to pray, how much more do we sinners need to pray? Yet, as you hear these words, many of you, perhaps most of you are feeling convicted. Maybe you're even feeling Guilty. You're thinking, I know I'm not coming close to praying the way I should. I'm not praying as often as I should. My prayer life isn't anywhere near what it's supposed to be. If this describes you, please don't fear. Don't feel discouraged. Don't feel guilty. Jesus' words in today's scripture are nothing if not deeply encouraging. And they're they're meant to inspire all of us to pray more and more. So I want you to be encouraged by today's scripture. Um, I I hope that you've, um, you've seen one of the world's greatest movies ever made. I'm talking, of course, about It's a Wonderful Life. If you have seen It's a Wonderful Life, you probably remember that scene in which George Bailey says a prayer. George Bailey, of course, is the character played by Jimmy Stewart. And he's he's praying when he's in a bar. It's Christmas Eve and he is in a lot of trouble. His hapless Uncle Billy misplaced an $8,000 bank deposit. The regulators think that George has embezzled that money from the building and loan. And since George doesn't have any money to, to, to pay it, to pay the bank back, well, he's pretty confident he's going to get arrested and sent to prison. His life appears to be in ruins so far as he knows. And he prays in that moment, dear father in heaven, I'm not a praying man. But if you're up there, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope, oh God. You see, George knows that he's not worthy to ask God for anything. And he feels ashamed. He feels ashamed to even try. He feels ashamed to even go before God and, and, and ask for anything. Because after all, he's, he's not a praying man. And the premise of his prayer is this. If he were a praying man, then, then, well, then he would be worthy of asking his father to do something. I mean, sure, uh, 
we all know that God would be happy to answer the prayers of Donna Reed, for instance. She's, she's wonderful. She, she's, she's sweet. She's faithful. In the very first opening scene of the movie, she's praying for her husband. She deserves a miracle from God. But not George Bailey. He's not a praying man. See, I believe that we secretly or not so secretly buy in sometimes to that premise. One reason we don't pray like we should is because we don't feel worthy to pray. Praying is, is for all those other saintly Christians, not for ordinary sinners like me and you. Here's the problem. The less we pray, the less worthy we feel. The less worthy we feel, the less we pray. It's a vicious circle. But I need you and me to hear some really good news, which I say with the full confidence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This idea that we need to make ourselves worthy before we pray is absolutely wrong. If you don't believe me, look at this crazy parable that Jesus tells in verses 5 through 8. What this man asks of his friend, his neighbor, to get out of bed in the middle of the night and fetch him, not one, not two, but three loaves of bread because he has an unexpected guest and his pantry is empty and he needs help. What this man is asking of his friend is inappropriate. It's wrong. He's asking way too much of his friend. After all, uh, this, this neighbor would have lived in a small house. Uh, families slept in close quarters. There would be no way for, for this friend to get up out of bed without waking up his children if, if he has a baby, waking up a sleeping baby and fetching his neighbor three loaves, it's a lot to ask. It is too much to ask. But maybe it doesn't matter because, you know, even if the man doesn't get up to fetch this bread, all the knocking and yelling is probably going to wake up his family anyway. Besides, why is this man's pantry empty in the first place? If feeding an unexpected guest were so important that you would wake up your neighbor in the middle of the night, then it ought to be important enough for you to make sure you had a well-stocked pantry just in case of an emergency, just in case you had unexpected company. So this man was completely wrong for doing what he did. And the English translations get it right. Sometimes they say he was bold, um, but that's not quite strong enough. The best translations indicate that there's something wrong, like the English Standard Version, which I read. What did it say? He was impudent. Impudent means, it's not a word we use very much these days, but it means that you're bold to the point of being annoying. You're bold to the point of being rude and disrespectful. Impudent, that's a good word. Other translations say shameless. I like that too. 
Because shameless means that this man ought to be ashamed of himself. He ought to feel deeply embarrassed for doing what he's doing. But he does it anyway. Yet somehow Jesus says, be like this man when you pray. What on earth? Be like him. Pray like that. Be as shameless as he is shameless when it comes to prayer. Of course, we're unworthy to pray. Of course, we don't deserve to ask God to do anything for us. Of course, we have no right to expect God to give us what we ask for. So why does Jesus say this? I mean, how, on what basis do we get to be so bold? Well, Jesus has already told us earlier in the scripture in verse two, when he gives us his model prayer. The most important fact for us Christians when it comes to our relationship with God is this. Now, my words only apply to Christians, only apply to those who have been born again. This is not true for the world's population at large. I'm speaking of those who've been born again. But if you're born again, this applies to you. The most important fact about your relationship with God is that God is our father. And we, that means we are his beloved children. Consider, consider how young children ask their parents for things. They do so boldly, audaciously, without giving a thought to how expensive that thing for which they're asking may be and fully expecting that their parents are going to give it to them. Consider this. By the time a young child is old enough to form the words to ask his or her parents for something, that child is already deeply indebted to his parents. Uh, I mean, think about doctor's visits before and after the delivery. (laughs) Um, Uh, uh, hospital bills, room and board, insurance, clothing, furniture, diapers, extra child care or babysitting, not to mention time, put a cost on parents' time to raise their children. Parents sacrifice so much of it, not to mention lack of sleep, Not to mention worry. Oh, so much worry. The nerve, the nerve of a young child to ask his parents for anything after they've already given so much. Young children don't care. (laughs) They're going to do it anyway. And when they do, assuming that they need it or that it's good for them, or at least it won't hurt them or hurt us, uh, and assuming we can afford it, Well, we parents are more than happy to give our children exactly what they ask for. Since we are God's children through faith in Christ, we ought to be bold enough to act like children. Ask our father for what we need and keep on asking him, expecting him to give it to us. Because make no mistake, Jesus is telling us that 
that God will gladly intervene to to do things for us when we pray, to do things in response to our prayers that God otherwise would not do. Did you hear that? I I, want to emphasize this because there's some terrible theology out there that says prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. See, you know what that is? That's just disguising a lack of faith in pretty theological language. Give me a break. That's not at all what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches that our prayers do change God, not his nature. God is always going to be the loving, perfect, you know, God who we know. But but what I'm saying, God will do things differently for us in response to our prayers that God will not do if we do not pray. This is the clear teaching of Scripture. You do not have, the Apostle James says, because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Brothers and sisters, we are missing out on blessings in our lives right now because we don't ask. Jesus teaches us to ask, are we going to take God at his word? Are we going to take Jesus at his word? Is Jesus telling the truth in today's scripture? Do we believe him? Does our prayer life reflect the fact that we believe him? Look again at the parable. Look at verse eight. The neighbor says, I cannot Get up and give you anything. This cannot be done. What you are asking is impossible. I cannot do this. But that's not true, is it? This neighbor can get up and he can give his friend three loaves of bread. In fact, that's what he ends up doing. In the same way, there may be a million reasons why we think God is not going to give us what we pray for. Common sense, logic, life experience, they all scream at us. Don't don't bother praying about that. You you know God's not going to do that. Maybe if it were Donna Reed, but you're not Donna Reed, you know. Um, So so just don't waste your time praying for that thing. It's, It's too much. You're asking God for too much. It's too difficult. But no, Jesus says, pray for that difficult thing and keep on praying for it until God tells you to stop. Because as impossible as it seems, God can make it happen. (laughs) You probably heard last weekend about the commencement speaker at Morehouse College in Atlanta. Mm. A billionaire investor named Robert F. Smith told 396 young men who were graduating that he was going to pay off all of their student debt. This is good news for these students. This is good news for the parents, the families of these students. But do you know who it's not good news for? Every other commencement speaker in America. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. I mean, can you imagine following that example? I mean, you, you could be the best orator, orator in the world and you're going to be, uh, the first thing you're going to be saying to the graduating class at whatever university you're speaking is, I'm sorry guys, let me just tell you up front, I'm not going to be paying off your debt. I hope that's okay. Uh, Instead, I'm going to be speaking to you for about 35 minutes. Uh, Isn't that just as good? (laughs) But listen, when I heard about Robert Smith's amazing act of generosity, I thought, I thought, I'll bet someone was praying. Think about it. I'll bet there was some faithful Christian in that student body or some faithful mother or father or aunt or uncle or grandparent. Someone was looking at this massive student debt and was praying boldly and persistently, asking God to work some kind of miracle to help these students pay it off. And look what God did. Or, or, or is that too big of a miracle for God to do? I mean, that cannot happen, we would say. And yet it did. And I'll bet it did because someone was praying. But the moment I tell you that um, we need to stretch our faith and ask our father for bigger, better And bolder things is the moment I have to deal with the difficult question of unanswered prayer. Maybe it's true. We didn't get the serpent uh, when we asked for a fish. We didn't get the scorpion when we asked for an egg. But we also didn't get a fish or an egg either. So, again... Is Jesus telling the truth? By all means. But we need to interpret Jesus' words in light of the rest of God's word, including what Paul tells us in Romans 8.26. He writes, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't know what to pray for. We simply can't foresee the the myriad consequences that would result from God granting uh, one of our petitions in prayer. We can't foresee what would happen to the rest of the world. God can, but we can't. We can't know uh, how that would fit or whether that would fit in God's plan for us or for others. We can't know that, but God can. So sure, we may ask God for what we think is, a, is an egg or a fish, but in reality, it would turn out to be a scorpion or a serpent because it would end up harming us, harming people we love, harming other people. But don't be discouraged because Paul, immediately after Paul says, we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to pray for, he writes, listen to this, But the spirit himself intercedes, that is, prays for us with groanings too deep for words. And he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So while it's true that that we don't always get what we ask for, there is someone we know 
whose prayers on our behalf are always answered without fail every time. Indeed, this person's prayers are always effective because get this, he always knows exactly what we need, much more so than we know. And unlike us, when he prays, his prayers are always exactly in alignment with God's will and God's plan for our lives. That person, Paul says, is none other than the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who is God himself. To say the least, God the Father will always answer the prayers of God the Holy Spirit. As strange as it is to say, God always answers God's prayers. And God's word promises that the Holy Spirit is always at work in our lives, praying through the words of our own prayers. And what is the Holy Spirit praying through our words and our prayers? What does the Holy Spirit want for us? Only this. The Holy Spirit wants the very best for us. The Holy Spirit is always praying that God will give to us something, not something that's just nice, something that would be pretty good, something that's, well, it's better than nothing, something that's not bad. No, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is praying for something that is the best for us. And you say, I know what you're thinking, wait a minute. (laughs) Well, why is God's best for me? Not as good as God's best for that other guy over there. And you're tempted to feel jealous. But but how do you know what's best for you? Um, You're not living that other guy's life. And he's not living your life. If, If God gave you that other person's best, it might prove harmful to you. If God gave you, for instance, the, that, that other person's salary or job title or possessions or accolades, it might go straight to your head. You might become conceited. You might start trusting in money and possessions instead of trusting in the Lord. It might make shipwreck of your faith. You might even go to hell. I mean, this possible Only the Lord can know what our best is. We are supposed to trust that that's exactly what he wants to give us. Listen, we got a puppy. I mentioned this at the top of the hour. We got a puppy last Sunday, and uh, his name is Ringo. He is absolutely, if you're Facebook friends with me, you've seen him, um, absolutely the cutest little English Springer Spaniel you've ever seen. To say the least, Ringo does not like sleeping in his crate during the night while us adults and children, you know, uh, older children are sleeping in our beds. Um, and he lets us know that he does not like it at, at all hours of the morning. I hope that stops soon. If it were possible, if it were possible and I could reason with the dog I would try to say something like this. I know that you think that this crate is the worst. (laughs) you, 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 You think you're being tortured and you're begging me to let you out so you can sleep in my lap 
for instance. I am not ignoring you. I, I, I hear your anguish. I hear your pain. But I'm much smarter, much wiser than you are. Doggy. I know that you need to learn how to fall asleep on your own. I know that you need to learn how to put yourself to sleep at night. I know that if you do, you'll get more sleep. You'll be happier. You'll be more independent. Your, your owners will be happier. And you'll enjoy, enjoy more freedom later on in life. So while, so while I'm saying no to you right now, Ringo, it's only because I'm saying yes to something better, better further down the line. I'm saying no because I've got something better for you in the future than you can imagine right now. If you are a Christian, this is what it means when our Father tells us no in response to our prayers. Listen, I've often heard it said that God answers every prayer in one of three ways. You've heard this. God says what? Yes, or God says, or God says, that's right. And that's, I'm not saying that's not true, but in light of today's scripture and what I've been preaching on, I would modify it to make it more, well, to more truthful. I would put it like this. God answers our prayers in one of three ways. God says, yes. God says, wait, or not yet. Or God says, I've got something better for you than that. I've got something better for you than that. I'm going to show you something better. You just got to trust me. Pastor Tim Keller, uh, in one of his many fine sermons on prayer, says this. God will either... Give us what we ask for when we pray. Or he'll give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that God knows. I like that. I think that is a fair representation of the Bible's teaching about prayer. But notice what Keller doesn't say. He doesn't say that God will give us what we would have asked for. You know, if we had bothered to ask at all. In other words, all of the Bible's promises about the power and the efficacy of prayer only apply when we pray. <laughs> um, they, they don't apply to our good intentions to pray. They, 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 the Holy Spirit is going to pray as we pray through our prayers. The Holy Spirit is not going to pray through our good intentions to pray. Um, it's true. Our Father won't give us a scorpion if we ask for an egg, but he won't give us necessarily anything at all if we don't bother to ask. So we ask him and we keep on asking. Amen? Amen. Amen. Almighty God, we thank you for this amazing, these amazing promises that you give us in your word about the power of prayer. We confess that we have fallen far short of the example 
and the teaching of prayer that your son Jesus gives us, we can't change on our own. We've been trying. We've always, we resolve to pray more. And then life sort of gets in the way. But you know what we're going to pray for right now? We're going to pray that your Holy Spirit's going to come into us, come into our hearts, change our hearts, give us the power, the ability to pray, to pray more often, to pray more effectively, to be more faithful in this most important spiritual activity that any of us can engage in. Please make it so, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you.